What's up and welcome to Difficulty Class, a podcast about all things Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Trevor Bettis, and with me is... Allie Deitchman. That's right, and this week we're going to be talking about how to incorporate gods into your game, and when to call for checks, and when to not to call for checks, as well as answer a couple of listener questions at the end. Mm-hmm. Allie, how are your games this week? Oh, they are going exciting. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, on in my Neverwinter game... Uh, one of my characters is a paladin, and he, uh, his god, so to speak, has not been very pleased with him. Mm. And it's, that sounds relevant. Yeah, you keep doing these exactly. relevant things. Exactly, I know it's crazy. It's like as if I'm, I'm looking for both assistance and just want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so it was re- neat. I got to actually role play a god, or maybe two. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so that was exciting. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah. What about yours? Uh, who? Let's see. Uh, we started Storm King's Thunder last night. Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they made new characters. Uh, uh after last week's episode, um, uh, we got a Dragonborn Paladin, a an Elven Artificer. Uh, my sister is an oh, Artificer. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> um, which is uh, both of us are like, oh shit, I don't know how to play this. <laughs> so we're figuring that out. Um, and uh, the other new character is a Tortle. He's a turtle fighter. Yes. Yes. Oh, his, so name, cute. his name is Tarda. I love him. <laughs> uh, yeah. Was, uh, originally, uh, that player had made a uh, water genasi monk, and like it, it was pretty funny and all that. And then it's, for some reason this week I was like, turtle that exactly fits his his like ridiculousness. And so I text him like, hey, you should take a look at this. And next thing he goes, how do I make this in D and D Beyond? So I went and bought it, and I'm like, here, you 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 go do that. Um, but yeah, it went really well. They got, um, a lot farther than I thought they were. I'm not going to put spoilers here because spoilers are safe for review episodes, but they got a lot farther. They got into the book more than I thought they were going to. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, I got to put a little twist cliffhanger at the end like I like to do. And you're starting them at level five for this one? Level six. Ooh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's good. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I had to info dump a lot, which I don't usually like to do. Right. But I felt like it was good to get them in there. And they even agreed. They're like, no, that, that was fine. Yeah. So one of the times... We'll go over info dumps another time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other than that, uh, things are things are good. Yeah. So let's hop over to some quick news. Uh, really, the only news we got is this book that I'm holding in my hand that Allie can see and you guys can't. It's the Acquisitions Incorporated book. Yay! It's so freaking cool and it's hilarious. Beautiful. And I love it. You can be in the Coltant. Yep. And a documancer. It's amazing. And I can stare at Jim Dark Magic stats. I was gonna say they have stat blocks for like all the PCs. They do. There's Omen. There's Jim Viari, looking majestic on a chandelier as should be. (laughs) Um, But the thing that I didn't know when I picked this book up, and I thought I'd read a bunch about it, there's a whole giant adventure in here. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. That's yeah, there, there's it. Even like it goes into old familiar D and D places. Oh. And has a bunch of acquisitions incorporated stuff in it and ridiculousness. Oh, that's so cool. So yeah, there's a lot of player options, but there's also a nice, funny adventure in this really well done book. That's awesome. So uh, yeah, that came out today for us, uh, Tuesday for you listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you didn't know about it, go go pick it up because it's it's really good. And I've been listening to Acquisitions Incorporated since I started playing D&D, <laughs> so this is pretty cool. Oh yeah. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, housekeeping. You may have seen on our Twitter that uh, we or uh, well, I that people recorded yes. uh, the second adventure <laughs> series. Uh, I uh, I DM'd it for let's see, Dusty from Price Count, mm-hmm. Matt and Ryan from Win Gaming, and then uh, Dallas, who is a listener to pretty much all of those things, plus Respawning Fire, which is how we all know each other. Besides Dusty, I know Dusty from playing with him. Um, <laughs> And yeah, we recorded uh, the second adventure series. I felt it went pretty well, um, I, but there's a lot of editing I need to do. So uh, it's announced. It's going to happen. You'll hear it at some point. I just don't know when. So keep an ear out on here or an eye out on Twitter and you'll you'll see that eventually. Yeah. Um, let's see. You, you want, do you want, you want to talk about the, the next piece of housekeeping? Let's see. Ah, yes. So I am a big user of DMs Guild. It's this wonderful online website um, where you can essentially just pick up a ton of things where people have made, like a lot of homebrew stuff and a lot of like uh, personal homemade classes, uh, homemade adventures, homebrewed worlds, uh, homebrewed just necessary things to help you DM in general. Like, oh, here's a list of all the prices of magic items. Like those kind of things are all over that website. And we were considering, and we are definitely going to be doing, the DMs Guild Spotlight. And so we would like for you listeners to totally go ahead and send in either your favorite DMs Guild stuff or stuff that you're looking into. And we Hell, can... e- even stuff that you made. <laughs> Definitely. Oh my god, even that, especially that. That would be so cool because we would love to look into it. And we'd like to kind of shed a light on some player-made stuff. Yeah. Like content creators. We, we want to help you out. We yeah. want to spotlight you. Yeah, DM Spotlight. So yeah, um, send those in, and uh, our goal is to talk about at least one of them every week, unless there's two that we're both so hyped about, we just talk about both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, do that, and that will be in upcoming episodes. But not today. Today, uh, uh, our first topic, well, Ali, that's, I think that's your topic. Yes, uh, it is all about, well, the gods. Uh, Ooh, yes, well, that was more of a ghost. That, that was more spooky. <laughs> I'm a, I don't know what to do for God. I'll just be quiet now. Just mighty and powerful, big beard. Big beard. <laughs> um, in Faerun, especially in 5th edition, there's a lot of gods. Plural, it's, it's a whole pantheon, and there's multiple different sets of pantheons, and so... Today I kind of wanted to talk about like when you're either approaching your own homebrew or even a book, like a campaign book, how should you approach the concept of gods? Uh, How involved should they be in your story? Uh, And really like how the, my biggest question is how omnipotent should they be? Especially as a DM, you literally can have the voice of God. Like I mentioned earlier in my game, I did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like... It's the question of, like, at what point do your players realize or can react to that huge thing, or is it too much? I don't know. We'll talk about it. <laughs> um, I think it's about the, the way you do it. I've mm-hmm. done it a lot of times. I've done it in times where players don't even know I do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, one time I blatantly did it for you for you guys in the Strahd game. Like, I straight up had Lathander show up. I know. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um... Allie was a, your paladin, right? I was a cleric. Cleric. You were mm-hmm. a cleric of Lathander. And one of the players got turned into a vampire. And I uh, realized, I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't really come up with a way to, to <laughs> deal with that. Right. Um, 
And uh, so she had the idea to like just straight up pray to Lathander. And I went, that's brilliant. And I've never done this in a game before, so I'm going to let it happen. And I had Lathander speak to the guy that was a vampire. And he gave the right amount of answers that mm-hmm. I felt, yeah, let's let this happen. So he turned him back in, into human. Yeah. I mean, like, I think it really kind of comes down to setup, too. Because if you're playing with a group that's, like, all bards, where they're more secular than religious, so to speak, mm-hmm. then having a god show up, really having, like, uh, you would want to have the right gods show up. Yeah. I do feel like if you're going to have a god show up, unless it's a big twist, then it should be one that the party is familiar with. Yeah. And uh, bringing in that familiarity, like, how do you introduce that? Like, how do you even foreshadow gods would be listening, so to speak? Like, when's... uh, That's a great question. When's the right time to start introducing the fact that the gods are listening? Because in the grand scheme of things, like... Just looking at numbers, D&D adventures, especially a long-term campaign, usually start from like level one-ish to mm-hmm. 20. And people usually say, oh, 15 through 20 are god-tier quotes. Yeah. So it's like, at what point do you foreshadow that god-tier? <laughs> um, I mean, that's kind of the good thing about doing like doing this as a story is these characters, because your players are playing them and you're running this campaign, they are the main characters of a story. So God's listening into it. That's straight up to your choice. That's true. Yeah. I I feel like if you want the gods, one God in particular or multiple of them to be listening to the players and actually following what they're doing, you can just decide to do that and come up with your own reasons. That's kind of the important thing though, is like the reasons for it. Yeah. And it, it, because, yeah, if you do just do it to do it, your players can't feel like, oh, well, that just feels like deus ex machina. Yeah. Which it literally is. <laughs> <laughs> quite, yeah, quite literally is. Like, uh, like that, like having Lathander come down and turn that dude back uh, from a vampire, that is literal deus ex machina. Yeah, the meaning. <laughs> it is. But that was after 20-something sessions of you being a cleric, of you fully being behind the idea and belief of Lathander and you guys actually trying to stop Strahd. I'm like, this. I feel like this fits. And no one at the table was upset about it. People, I thought I thought plenty of people at the table were going to be upset with it. <laughs> but they weren't, and that was cool. Yeah. Doing that kind of setup and not always having the gods be there is the is the other key thing. Because if you do it too much, then yeah, it is just... It becomes like a literal angel on the shoulder kind of feel. Yeah. Um, like, I did that one in Strahd, but I haven't really done God intervention yeah. before or after that. I've had gods around and do stuff. I mean, like, I've already talked about Driftwood back on <laughs> uh, on Dungeon Driver. Mm-hmm. Like, the well, that, that, that I'm going to segue that into a point that I wrote down. Gods can be a way to do DM magic. That is an explanation for you and a mystery to the player. Yeah, no, they're they're the perfect tool for that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I've or I've said on here, Driftwood's a god. My players are probably listening to that. I've never said that in game. I've never <laughs> once actually said he's a god. If you did, there wouldn't be any doubt 
to that statement. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, like, I, I do certain things that make it look like maybe he's just a high, powerful wizard and stuff. Like, he still yeah. uses magic items. He has a little stone that he pours water through and it comes out as whiskey, which is probably why he's drunk all the time. <laughs> I mean, like, that's the cool thing about this high fantasy setting is that, I mean, in reality, what were gods? Just very high, powerful beings in general. So it's like... Well, like, that, like, Pathfinder, Mm -hmm. sometimes a dirty word, but um, (laughs) the gods in the Pathfinder setting are actually, for the most part, the creators of Pathfinder's original characters from 3rd edition. Oh, wow. Yeah, they... Galeria, all of that stuff, is their homebrew campaign from 3rd edition. And so when they brought that over into the publishing side, most of them brought their characters in as the gods. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, so the stories, like there's one story of one of the gods, I can't remember which one, uh, Ike talks about her, mm-hmm. um, is, the, is she's known for having been a human and becoming a god. And they played through that. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that was a the thing they played at their table. And, I, like, I wrote this down in my notes as the long game. Yeah. You can do that. But it, sh- it shouldn't just be in one campaign. Mm-hmm. Like, this should be a character that has been there for a really long time through multiple campaigns. Or even just, you keep bringing them up in your world. Yeah. And then eventually they ascend to that. I just cheated and threw Driftwood in. <laughs> <laughs> You skipped the long part, and I you're did. just at the end of it. To be fair, he was a, <laughs> supposed to be a throwaway character that only showed up once. <laughs> but then your NPC is attached to them, and then it's just like, yeah, yeah. it just happens. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And so, that that definitely helped me kind of solidify, because the coolest thing I think I've done with gods so far, except for excluding the last session I just did, was when one of my characters multiclassed into Cleric. Mm -hmm. Um, this entire time he's been a super devout, like, follower of Denier, which is a god of written knowledge, literally. He's Mm -hmm. the scribe of the god of knowledge. And so, it's, he's kind of a minor god, a a step down, so to speak, but he's still important to this character. And so, this entire time, this character has had Keen Mind. And Keen Mind is where, essentially, you can go for 30 days and have a literal picture-perfect memory you remember everything. Mm-hmm. So his character had no need for an actual journal. And long story short, this character ended up with a very it's a sentient robe. And the robe talks to him through many different voices. And all of a sudden, a voice he's never heard before talked to him. Except it wasn't just him. The whole party heard it. And so he was like, oh, is this a new thing? Is this a new voice? And when he talked to the robe again, the robe was like, we didn't talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> and what did what did he ask him to do? He asked him to start a journal. And so he went to church and he got a journal. Nice. And that's how he multiclassed. I like that. I like using the gods as just kind of like a flavor mm-hmm. insert as well. Because it kind of helps turn meta into lore. Yeah. Well, um, like, the, there's, there's one style that I heard a long time ago where... This player uh, was a cleric, and their DM every you know in-game dawn would have the DM would have the god suggest the spells to that player oh. for what they should take that day, and 
you know, it's it's kind of hand-holding because it's like, hey, uh, the DM knows, oh, there's going to be a lot of combat today. You should take, you can cure light wounds. Yeah, you, know, you should do that. <laughs> a lot of healing spells for no reason. Um, Definitely don't. You don't need light. No. No. I don't, I don't think you're going to need that today. Oh, so we're not going into a dungeon? Um, no, I mean, you might, but um, you, you got torches. So it's, you know, like, <laughs> there is a little bit of hand-holdiness to it, and it does kind of spoil some things in ways, but you don't always always have to do it. I, I, But I always thought that was such a cool thing to do, yeah. was to have them suggest uh, the spells that they did, because I feel like that would almost make the player, player character feel more in touch with the god. Yeah. But then it gets into the whole argument, like, so this... God's talking to them like for real. <laughs> like there's a legitimate connection yeah. there. Yeah. But but the thing is though is that like there is a legitimate connection there to begin with. If you cast sacred flame, that's literally <laughs> your god like burning someone. Yeah, that is a god-given power. <laughs> yeah, like like all cleric and paladin spells are divine. Like yeah. they are the power of their gods. Yeah. Um so they're already that that kind of goes back to like should your gods take interest in them? they kind of already are because they're kind of calling to them yeah I mean especially if they are a cleric or paladin yeah which I mean that was one of my bullet points was how does the gods affect classes and how to build them mm-hmm. and it's something that I mean a lot of DMs take them as kind of like just throwaway flavor mm-hmm. but personally I know I actually enjoyed looking into it a little bit oh yeah. Because it does provide a lot of, like, instant backstory, even if you don't have one for your character. Mm -hmm. Because if you're just a cleric and you're just like, well, the party needed a healer. Well, why did your character become a cleric? Why did they decide this god in particular? And it's like, oh, because I wanted to be life domain. All right. Well, at least I, the DM, can play with that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, There's... The gods aren't, in my opinion, just flavor. Like, I do like using them. But I know that there's some players like, um, I'm an elf and my god is Bahamut. Are you sure? (laughs) Why? Uh, sounded cool. (laughs) Well, um, okay. (laughs) And so, like, but that, I see the possibility for a really interesting story there. Why is an elf praying to the silver metallic dragon god? Yeah. And I feel like there's a cool thing to do there, but the player has to be interested in it. Yeah. So it's not just the DMs. Like, the players sometimes do it, too. Like, you are saying, like, why'd you pick that? Because I wanted Life Domain. When I make characters that are, you know, of the healing variety, I do try to figure out why they're believing in one god or another. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, there's also the fun one of, uh, like, what Dusty did, where he had an atheist character in a world where gods are literally walking the earth. Which, I mean, like, we, we equivalented that to the whole concept of atheists in D&D, considering that it is canon that gods have a literal hand in mm-hmm. everything. I mean, clerics exist because of gods. That atheists are the equivalent of flat earthers. <laughs> yeah. Because there's so much evidence, and it's literally right in front of you, and yet they don't believe it anyways. To, to be fair... <laughs> In Dusty's offense, he did have a massively tragic backstory that explained it that we found out like three sessions before the end that nearly made me cry. Which I kind of had a realization the other day, funny enough, because I was thinking about it, Mm. was it wasn't that he lost faith that they existed, it's just that he lost faith in them. Mm -hmm. So it's And and he just didn't want to believe it. I love that. Um, Let's see. Um, Oh, one one point that I do want to bring up is... 
I think it's okay to suggest a god for a player. Yes. And in, in those situations, like, well, why are you that one? I don't know. I'm like, well, okay, maybe, maybe do this one. And maybe that god has something to do with the campaign, like in Strahd. Yeah. Um... Like, at the beginning, I can't remember what god you were going with. Uh, Kalimvor. Yeah. And, and you And you were, seemed kind of iffy about it. I'm like, maybe maybe Lathander. And you're like, oh, okay. And I was like, yeah, that, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's a... Kalimvor and, and Lathander are kind of like, same, same, but different. Mm-hmm. So it kind of worked anyways. Yeah. And because you were, there was a lot more things connecting you to the story. Quite literally. Yeah. Um, like, you know, the first church you guys go to is Lathander one. Yeah. The, the Abbey has the church, or Lathander. And okay. It just keeps popping up everywhere, and it, I feel like it tied your character better to the story. And plus, we were able to actually use my flaw, which is I'm, I trust wholeheartedly anyone who's of my faith. Yes. And, and that would have been, like, I guess I could have switched it to that god, but it, it I felt like it worked better that way. Yeah. Um, uh, when I, uh, when Tara DM'd Pathfinder, um, I was trying to decide gods. I'm like, well, I'm between Desna and this one. She's like, you should, uh, you should go with that Desna one. <laughs> like, what? What? Why? She's like, oh, reason. First session. And you're at the Festival of Desna. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm in hog heaven. <laughs> Um, and so I, I think doing that sort of thing is totally fine yeah. and can really help a campaign in some situations. In Dragon Heist, it's not really going to matter. Yeah. In Tomb of Annihilation, not really going to matter. Yeah. I mean, like, it, in certain games and certain campaigns, even like homebrewed campaigns too, it, it really depends on how uh, heavy-handed or omnipotent the gods are, mm-hmm. determining how important they can be. Especially in a setting. I mean, like, overall, though, the probably the best resource book for 5th edition present gods is Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Because, have you looked in there recently? No. It literally details how half of them even became gods. Oh. Like, and it has, like, all their symbols and everything, too. I hate too. that that's the book I read the least. Because yeah. I don't know why. I just looked on, like, ah, oh, no, 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 it's fine. Yeah, it's I got, really need to read that it's one. It's got a description for every single god in the Faerun mm set of I, deities there. I think that's one reason why like I default the player's handbook and the DM's guys because they have like like the player's handbook has like our gods yeah. from uh, Earth and then the D- DM's guide has like the fourth edition gods that I fucking was my bread and butter. Like yeah. I saw Paylor in there I'm like my boy! Yeah. <laughs> like I still every now and then throw in Paylor and I'm all like oh wait that's not. Yeah. <laughs> that's the wrong one. Yeah. Um, like I... I <laughs> You know, I have an Irish cleric that's got his Monomon McLear, and I will, at, you know, just with joy, rattle off the backstory as to why he's in Faerun, and it's great. Yeah. Uh, tooting my own horn. I should stop that. Uh, um, the I think the last thing that I would want to bring, unless you, do you have another point you want to no, bring up on this? Um, is gods as villains. Oh, yeah. And we, I mean, I think we should do a whole topic episode about villains in general yes <laughs> but i don't feel like gods make good villains like overarching villains no unless you're literally playing as someone who can who, unless you're playing as characters that can like at least approach them that's probably the only way that you should have yeah. them be a villain because if you're playing in the Astral Sea and these guys are like ready to rumble and they're level like 18 players and they're like, yeah, no, we've been hunting this god down because he's been such a dick. 
then yeah, have a god level mm-hmm. be a villain. But if you're just like, you know, trying to get through Strahd and all of a sudden there's like a god situation happening, yeah. you already got other problems. They, I mean, they gotta I... worry about zombies. How are they gonna fight a god? Yeah, <laughs> like, like if you suddenly like, like the Raven Queen incarnate shows up in Barovia. Yeah. It's like, well, Strahd's not that big of a problem now. No, and... <laughs> It's it's only really a matter of time of like the, be, a god being a villain. It's it's not it's not a good play. No, because like no. The, it always comes down to like, well, why don't they just destroy them? Yeah, like and, they're level one players. Why isn't the god just destroy and more them? More often than not, the DM, if that is the, what ends up happening, has to use another Deus Ex Machina to take them out mm-hmm. or to intervene and like have another god be the good guy yeah. and save the day, which doesn't. Lend story to your own characters. And like, the the we're playing through Reign of Winter right now in Pathfinder, and like a god, a, a god is pretty much on our side, but there's just so many barriers, literally, that is stopping her from helping us all the time. Yeah, that it's just getting the point. Where it's like, okay, yeah, we get it. We, you don't want us to be OP yet. We 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 understand. Yes, just <laughs> okay. Um, but. Yeah, do, doing them as the overarching villain where they're the... Like, if you have Asmodeus, or Asmodeus, whatever the hell you say, um, is the big bad, that's bad. <laughs> like, that's bad yeah. for the whole world. Yeah. Like, I know in Descent into Avernus, Asmodeus is there and everything like that, but it's not the big bad problem. Yeah. And, like, there's devils and stuff that you're dealing with, so there's lower end things. And I think having, like... As much as I don't like the campaign itself, Rise of Tiamat probably did it the best. Yeah. Where you're going to fight a god at the end, but they aren't like, you know, the mustache twirling guy <laughs> on the, the cliff that's like, yeah, you'll never get to me. They just have yeah. weird guys in purple pajamas doing that. Exactly. And I mean, I think the main point is that if you, as long as you keep the story on the protagonists, which are your players, and not on some crazy off-world other planar being then you should be fine like bring gods in personally as much as you want as long as the focus is still on your players i I feel like bringing gods in in little little bits here and there is the best to do yeah i mean unless you're playing like a greek campaign which i've done once oh yeah that's true and it was great we should talk about that one (laughs) one time i really like that one yes (laughs) all right uh you got anything else out of that one no, I think that I wrapped it all up. All right. I'm good. <laughs> I should have taken timestamps. Oh, well, I'll do that later in post. Um, <laughs> all right. Our second topic, my topic, is going to be uh, when to call for checks. Oh, yes. Which is, you know, slightly different from the first topic, but I don't feel like <laughs> they need to correlate. Um, so, yeah, checks, like ability checks, skill checks. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you got on that? So... As a DM, I love ability checks because it, one, allows you to improvise a little bit easier. Um, because if someone's like, oh, I want to do this and this and this and this, instead of like trying to think off the fly, how do I, how do I have them do this? The easiest thing you can do is just look at the list of, of ability checks and just the skill checks and then just go from there. Mm-hmm. And... Ability and skill checks, because they're kind of two different things. They are. Yeah. Um, let's, let, let, let's talk about that one first, then. So, yeah. like, you know, if you call for an ability check over a skill check, the thing that you have to remember is your their proficiency bonus isn't getting added to it. Yeah. So, if you call for a strength check at level 15, 
if you called for an athletics check, that would be a vastly different... Crazy different. ...different yeah. thing than it, which is kind of a bad thing, and one reason why um, I feel skill checks should be used over ability checks. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like ability should be for kind of like a coin toss that you're doing. I like to use them in moments that there's no way someone would be proficient in it. Oh, okay. Because there's no skill, like one skill you could apply to it. And so it's like, there's no way your character would have like encountered this before. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, okay. So like the, it's, it's the thing that's like, it does use strength, but you've never done it before. Yeah. So just use your strength. Yeah. The one that I end up using the most regarding that concept is like intelligence. Mm-hmm. When it's like when they're trying to piece something together or like wisdom checks when they're trying to put up puzzle together two and two you know it's like without mm-hmm. just giving them the answer i'm like give me a wizard so, check so like let's say that we had a wizard that was trained in arcana mm-hmm. but they found a book of the far realm something they've never encountered before yeah, exactly that would be just a straight intelligence check yeah but you, I would do you'd that. keep the same dc level probably okay um but if someone did bring in like a far traveler mm-hmm. uh, that's their whole background I would give them, like... The Arcana check, yeah. yeah. I mean, even if they weren't proficient in Arcana, if it was, like, in their background, I would be like, give me an intelligence check, add your proficiency. Okay. Oh, I like that. I, I yeah. hadn't actually thought about it. Like, like the way, the way that I mostly use them um, is, like, uh, let's say that the players are doing a puzzle, mm-hmm. and they're not doing, like, they're, they're having trouble figuring out one yeah. aspect of it. I'll say, make a wisdom check. And it's it's not any kind of skill thing or anything. It's literally just they get a dice roll, they get to add their thing to it. If, yeah. In my head, if they hit like over twelve or something, I'll give them a clue. <laughs> yeah. And I'll say like, oh, you think that you know this might be the thing, um, for like strength checks and stuff. Like it literally is like a coin toss if I think that they're gonna do it or not. Yeah. When I determine whether or not to use like strength or dex checks, that all depends on the player, mm-hmm. on how they describe what they're doing. Yeah. Because if they say, oh, I'm trying to push the boulder out of the way, I'm like, oh, okay, well, then use athletics. <laughs> if, like, I'm a halfling and I'm a rogue, and it's like, well, I'm going to try to uh, shove the boulder out of the way. I'm like, ah, use strength. Yeah. <laughs> You've never really done this before. You don't know the right angle to go at. You don't know anything. Just try your best. Um, but, like, if someone says, oh, I'm going to backflip over here. I'm going to Mario jump from the wall <laughs> to the other side. Yeah, use your acrobatics. You've done this before. You're proficient. Mm-hmm. And that's what the meaning of the word is. It's like, you've done this before to where you're good at it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if they've never been in that position before, then I usually go for the ability check. And I think that's a good barometer for it. I'm genuinely going to use the thing that you said though about (laughs) like, you're good at doing this, you're not good at doing this. I I don't know why I hadn't really thought of that before. Um, But when to call for them and when not to call for them and when to fib them, I think, is a big thing, too. And something that when I'm helping out new players that are trying to DM, yeah. I don't really think about telling them because that's just something that I've come to, like... When I call for a check now, I can have a DC in my head in a matter of seconds. That is the hardest thing to try to translate into teaching. Yes. Um, because that and it's... Because it's like I've just kind of built up this... It's something that's coming from experience. Yeah. And that's difficult to translate. Yeah, like... <laughs> If I'm going to call for a check, it is, it's going to be because there is a chance to fail. Yeah. Now, for a story purpose, there might be something that happens that I don't want there to be a check for because it needs to happen. 
Yeah. Or it's the players are stuck somewhere. Not not quite like in a you know logic puzzle or anything like that where it's like this if they failed the campaign cannot progress. That kind of stuck. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuck is the is the thing where it's like okay, don't do a skill check there, fluff it with some story. Yeah. But it's it also like I think it's also like a little bit we need to go like a little bit lower than that. If someone is just walking up a steep cliff or like a steep hill. Don't need to make an athletics check. No, if it doesn't serve any purpose towards furthering the story, progressing the story or the plot, there's no need to test it. Yes. I mean, it's the concept of, like, well, how heavy is this thing? Can you even pick it up? Yeah. Well, eventually, the players will probably get that thing over where they wanted it to. But is it really important to kind of bog it down with numbers? I mean, that's the beauty of 5th edition, is that we take away as much of the numbers as possible mm-hmm. to kind of make it as smooth as possible. Like, I, I've heard of DMs that call for athletics or strength checks to lift just a box to help someone. Or it's like, well, no, it, the, the point isn't that they are trying to lift a box. The point is that they're trying to help someone. Yeah. That's the part of the story that's important. Yeah, They definitely. don't need to, unless they're like, you know, a gnome wizard. <laughs> If it's if it the fighter goes up, it's like oh I want to help them with some boxes, just let them do it. Yeah. You don't need to take up some time with some dice rolls. I mean, kind of okay. Going off of that point of saying unless it's a gnome wizard, I will ask someone to do a check for the sake of it being fun. Oh yeah. And so like that's another good time. Just like if you're if read the room. Um, if, <laughs> if there's like if everyone's like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna carry like this dead person out of respect and go bury them. The gnome probably who has, like, negative two strength modifiers shouldn't probably be like, I'll help! <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, they can say, like, oh, I'll carry a hand to, so, like, signify I'm helping, but they shouldn't be, like, gung-ho about it. <laughs> so I, I actually feel like with someone on a good, like, analogy for that, well, not even analogy, just an example, it's if the fighter wants to move the dead body and he has a good strength score, doesn't need to make a check. If the gnome wizard with a negative two wants to make uh, drag a body, they need to make a check. Yeah. So it does come in situations, and that's something that you're going to understand more as you, not you, Allie, <laughs> listener, uh, whoever is this is helping, yeah. you'll get over time where it's not even a should I, shouldn't I thing. Right. Um, it, it will just be like, oh yeah, of course it'll be that. And oh, of course we won't do that. You know what's funny is I didn't actually start realizing that until I started playing Fate. Oh yeah? Yeah, because like you know how uh, Fate was kind of like the concept of uh, there's like success and then there's degrees of success mm-hmm. and so like being able to set a DC in my head I kind of figured out like okay so what are the different possible outcomes that could come out of this check mm-hmm. it could be like really good success which is just like oh you rolled really high that's really good or it's like it could be uh, you kind of succeeded and then there's just you didn't succeed at mm-hmm. all and so really that's my kind of flat basis of like an actual is there different outcomes of a possible situation? And if that's the case, then call for a check. I, Man, now that you say that, like, I, I think I could finally put into words, like, how I come up with a DC is in my head, like, one is obviously, you fucked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you fucked up. But in my head, like, I'm going, okay, what would be the number that they did, like, amazing at? Yeah. And if, if in my head I'm like, okay, that'd be like a 22, I would find the median of that, not correctly mathematically, like, see where it falls. Like, okay, so, like, 14. 
Yeah. So, but like if I had that it was a 25, I might bump that up to like 15 or 16. So that the baseline of success is the middle part. Mm -hmm. And if they get that higher one, something extra cool is going to happen, which I do from time to time. Yeah. And I mean, it's important to also keep in mind your players' levels. Yes. Because, and don't hold that against them. This is not Pathfinder. We're usually playing 5th edition. Yeah. And so, like, if someone says, if a 14th level rogue says, I want to high wire walk along at night in the pitch darkness and Mm -hmm. just be totally fine, it's like, well, acrobatics check. They're level 14. They're going to have, like, plus 5 to their, like, to their proficiency. Oh, yeah. Minimum. Plus their modifier, Too. So they're going to be probably an expert at it. You shouldn't make it impossible mm-hmm. just to match up with that proficiency number. That's a problem that I have with 3rd edition, Pathfinder, and 4th edition. Exactly. Like, I remember, I can vis- vividly remember on the DM screen for 4th edition, it's like, here is uh, a DC chart for levels 1 to 10. Here's a DC chart for levels 10 to 15, and yeah. so on. Because as you got up in numbers, they tried to match the difficulty with it. And it's like, well, I've been a rogue now for a really long time, and I'm level 14, but you're telling me if I roll a 15 on the die, not good enough. That's not good enough? No. In fact, my total number is 32! Because in the end, meta-wise, that means you have a lower... The higher level you are, the lower chance you have of succeeding. Mm -hmm. Which isn't fair, because the higher level you are should mean you have a higher chance of succeeding mm-hmm. because you're just more powerful and that's how the game should be run personally the, I, I always like things like the higher level you are the, the fucking cooler you should be yeah you should uh, be cool <laughs> play play it cool like, yeah play to be cool that's the that's kind of the general rule when it comes to skills <laughs> like just if let the rogue do something cool if they've earned that spot mm-hmm. if they're level one make it a difficult check yeah but if they're level like crazy like 15 and they're like oh i just want to do this really neat thing and show off to my friends for a hot second set like there's a reason why on the fifth edition dm screen there's only four numbers on there and it says this is it period there's no levels one through five Mm -hmm. five through ten it's just one it's just one set thing because fifth edition does believe that the higher level you are the more cooler you should be with all your expertise now there there is one thing i'm going to add in here this is not a you should totally do this uh in fact i'm sure some people will be like oh no you should never do that one thing that i do like you you and i both admit we suck at giving inspiration oh god the terror we're worse we're 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 the worst when it comes (laughs) to that i think i actually need to have chips next to me like poker chips like you do in fate so you're like oh yeah that's right i can can give give, okay, okay but the thing that i do though is that like I've had it where, like, a rogue player is like, all right, I want to jump over here, do this thing, slide down this, grab onto the sail, and go down with my dagger like freaking like a cool pirate dude, and then land down over here. And really, they're just seeing that stuff, and all it's doing mechanically is making them move their amount of squares. Yeah. And But the, the enthusiasm that they'll put into it, I'll be like, you know what? No, you don't even need to roll. Fuck it, that happens. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, in a weird way, it's like self given inspiration to where instead of you giving it out to the other players you just say you've inspired me yeah to just allow that to happen because there's some (laughs) things that players come up with that are so fucking cool that sometimes they should just happen not all the time not all the time yeah but sometimes in some situations you just need to be like no that's cool yeah i mean like that's my opinion spoiler free because we did that in the last episode 
my rogue took down a huge giant mm. and he took her down in the coolest way possible and he described it and I'm all like, oh my God, yeah, you're just, you're doing that. Yeah. It was so cool. <laughs> it's like, and then I described it and they're like, oh my God. And it was, there was no need to really like, like I said, oh yeah, do an attack roll because just to see if he yeah. would crit or not because he was going to hit her no matter what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Mm-hmm. The, the, one of the other things that is on there is, so I've, we've talked about uh, when they're needed, when they're not needed, and I had a near when to fib it. Yeah. And there's two reasons I have fibbing it. One, sometimes I call for a check just to give me a few extra moments to think of stuff. Yes. Um, asking for a <laughs> perception check mm-hmm. is the world's best just ellipses. Yes. Like It is. Especially since everyone rolls a d20 when you say, give me a perception check. Yep. And then all of a sudden you hear all the dice rolling mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, what's actually in here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I've used perception checks, like, history checks, all these things. Yeah, because, like, I'll have a player be like, oh, uh, well, well, tell me, well, I want to know about this book that I just said for flavor and no reason, and there's a whole room that's made out of gold and platinum and gems, but this <laughs> fucking burnt book, that's yeah. what they're focusing on. I will be like, uh, give me a history check in my head. I'm going, my God, what are they? Um, uh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a book about... Food, <laughs> but I sound more confident. Yeah, um, which I mean is that's where you can get little moments that your players adore, and they just randomly yeah. keep those kind of books forever, and then they'll be like, "Oh, this is my adamantine waffle iron." Yeah, and they'll just bust it out. The 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 other oh, god damn it! I forget, I had a mithril waffle iron. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the other things that I'll do is we we talked about before of like when you don't need a check when something just needs to happen. There is a thing that I do that covers this up. I call for a like let's say that there's something the players need to find. Yeah. I will say everyone roll a perception check. I am not seeing if they successfully see it. I'm finding out who found it. Definitely, yeah. And it's like, who found it or who found it the fastest? Yes. It's like, because no matter, that's the cool thing about, we were talking about, don't call a check unless, well, I was saying, don't call a check unless there's going to be like different ways that Mm -hmm. the results will give you. And that's one of them. If you call for a group check, then whoever meets the highest, like, Mm -hmm. DC, so to speak, then that's a different outcome. Yeah. Because if the rogue found something versus the paladin, then that's totally different yeah. outcome. <laughs> I mean, in in like getting down nitty gritty, it is a compo- it's a opposed uh, a check. They just don't know that they're opposing everyone. And yeah, I feel like I've had some times where that's been that little trick's been given away because no one rolled over a ten and they still found it. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, really? I found that, and I had to explain. I'm like, I just did to see who did it. Yeah. Um, but that I find that that's a handy little thing. And the other reason is. It's fun to roll dice. Definitely. I mean, like, especially if you're playing in a group where, let's say, like, four out of five people enjoy role play. Mm -hmm. And they enjoy sitting there and talking for, like, 40 minutes. Yeah. Not doing anything. But then you have one player who's like, I haven't touched my dice in an hour. Yeah. See, I, I'm that guy. Like, I I love and appreciate Critical Role, but that's why I can't get into it is because it's a lot of that first one. Yeah. Like, 
I love everyone on that show and the things that I hear about it, I love. But when I'm watching, I'm like, please roll some dice. Please, I just, could you just make a check? Could, please, I just want to, I just want to hear that sound. Yeah. I just want to hear it. Yeah. And it's, it gets to a point where it helps people feel like they're playing a game again. Yes. Versus just role playing. And that really comes down to who your players are. Mm-hmm. What kind of players it, It's like are. I said, read the room. Yeah. Read the room. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to put on here is I... I know that there's a lot of DMs out there, uh, not even just new ones, that um, that use criticals on skills. Right. And that's something that, like, I did. I did that for a while, especially during fourth edition, because I didn't. Under- I was like, twenty means you did it. One means you suck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it wasn't until uh, Kyle rolled an Arcana check on something that I just shouldn't even let him roll on because there's no way he could have known it and he rolled a crit mm-hmm. and he's like, I know it. And I went, no, that doesn't... And I had to level. I'm like, listen, that doesn't make sense for you to know. And that was when I stopped doing it. And that's yeah. when it got proven. I'm like, oh, there shouldn't be criticals on this. Yeah. And uh, going back to like the concept of how there's varying levels of success, mm-hmm. different degrees of success. Like, if someone rolled a 20 but they got a negative score Mm -hmm. that's the best shot they ever gonna get Mm -hmm. at knowing that and even if it doesn't match the dc that you set in your head because it's this long lost lore and they're not using any magic to figure it out or they're just like a fighter from a hometown of nothing Mm -hmm. then maybe they heard about it from a traveling minstrel but that's it yeah because it's like you shouldn't if you hear those sirens those are on our end (laughs) yeah (laughs) but definitely like if if I, that's what I take it because if someone has a, they roll a twenty because mm-hmm. it's not a crit. Mm-hmm. Even I think in the book it might say like only oh, saves and oh yeah yeah and in, in the book I think it says only saves and attack rolls. Yeah, and so funny enough, it wasn't until we started playing Pathfinder when I started approaching that concept as mm-hmm. well, where only saves and attack rolls have crits and crit fails mm-hmm. because skills doesn't make any sense like if you if you roll a one and you're again a rogue picking a lock you're gonna have proficiency in these tools you're probably an expert in these tools so that's if you're like level five you have like plus three so that's plus six mm-hmm. and it's a dex based thing so you're gonna probably add plus four so it's like you're already adding ten that's a that, yeah, that's I, gonna be a level a DC eleven lock. <laughs> well, I, I kind of feel like when you're doing checks, if you want to do the idea of criticals and failures, it should be the number total and not the number rolled. Yeah. Like if a rogue rolls a one and they're trying to be stealthy on a lock pick, if they still get a ten or something on there, it just means they didn't get it. If Joe Schmo, which I'm now officially going to make into a character now that I say it out loud. <laughs> yes. If Joe Schmo tries to make a check... Oh, God, it's just... Sorry. It's in your head now. <laughs> it's in my head now. I, I'm going to be thinking about this the whole way through. Um, if Joe Schmo makes a check to try and be stealthy about picking a lock, and they're like, I don't know, a freaking... Not even a bard. What, like a druid. Like a druid. Yeah, they're a dru- Joe Schmo's a druid. And uh, he goes to do that, and he gets a one, and his dex is like negative then yeah he, everyone heard that the, there's a like the door opens and some guy goes what are you doing yeah. like that should be the degree of success instead of what's on the die it's based off of the skill level yeah not the luck yes that's why they're called skill checks yeah there we go i like that <laughs> all right i feel like that's a good one to end that on yeah 
Um, I think we're gonna we're gonna go over into some listener questions. Oh yes. Um, we got. I, I, we're gonna do two of them today because there's one of them is very short. It's almost <laughs> informational. Uh, Matt wrote in. Uh, he's also on the adventure series uh, and asked, "How many spells are there in Fifth Edition?" Now I know you looked at this once. Do you remember it? Something around four hundred eighty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say if you ballpark. I shouldn't have shown you this. That would have been fun. But yeah, there are four hundred and eighty-seven. Four hundred eighty-seven spells in Fifth Edition. That is a cri- and that's okay. Is that all of them? Yeah. Like including Xanathar's guy. I and... went to D and D Beyond, read how many were on a page, and then multiplied how many pages and counted the last page and added it on. Wow. Yeah. That's actually. That's actually really cool. <laughs> yeah, like when I got this when I got this email, I was like, "Oh, I could probably ballpark it." There was like what, 120, 130, and so I decided to look it up, and I was blown away. <laughs> Which explains why there's still spells. Will someone say like, "Oh, I'll do this spell"? I'm like, "What is that?" Yeah, I've, I've literally never heard of that spell. Before. Yeah, no. So, sometimes I feel like I'm I'm playing Yu-Gi-Oh, but in the anime instead of real life, where yeah. like apparently no one knows all the cards. <laughs> What is that, Kaiba? <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I thought, like, it, it was, it's, you know, it's just a little question, but I was blown away by it, and I wanted to talk about it real quick. Yeah. 487 spells! That is so cool. Considering I mean, like, there's less player supplements in 5th edition than any other edition of D&D, yeah. and they're at 487, I need to go look at how many freaking 3rd edition or Pathfinder has. Good God. I can only imagine. They must have millions. <laughs> I grabbed the wrong thing. This one. All right. Our second listener question comes from Dusty Hill. Yay. Who is also on the adventure series. It's like there's a small group of people that are sending in questions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for doing that and we love you. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, Dusty of the Price Count podcast. Oh, yeah. Matt's from the Weird Gaming. You should uh, No, Win Gaming. You should go listen to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dusty asks, hey, all. Uh, wanted to know what your favorite adventure books slash campaigns are. Or, like, top three if it's too hard to choose. Well, personally, and I think it's... Well, do, do, do you want to do top three or you just want to do your straight favorite? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, do favorite one I've been in and favorite one I've run. Okay. Um, favorite one I've been in, and it might be because of the DM and how wonderful he was. <laughs> Um, was probably Strahd. <laughs> um, That's not me tooting my own horn. <laughs> it's not. It, it, that literally could have been any campaign book because Trevor's been the only DM to DM me through a campaign book. <laughs> oh, yeah, huh. yeah, funny enough. Uh, all my other DMs have been through homebrew campaigns. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Strahd was probably my favorite one. Um, there's a lot of like epic story and there's a lot of like interpersonal situations too and there's the whole land itself is such a cool aesthetic it's such a cool thing okay let's review it next week (laughs) (laughs) um probably favorite one to run i'm gonna say it surprise storm king's thunder (laughs) it's such a it's a bigger than life book and it feels that way to both the dm and the players and i love it so much in it it's such a good resource book too mm-hmm. it's just everything sword coast and i love the sword coast setting so much so it pretty much played to everything that i love yeah <laughs> um i think i'm gonna do top three because it, it, it currently in, in where i'm at it's hard for me to choose um number three is gonna be dragon heist oh really i will admit that that is mostly biased because of my group i do think that there are quite a few flaws in that book namely <laughs> chapter three 
or not chapter, uh, oh no, chapters two and three, those are a little rough mm-hmm. for a fresh DM, which is weird because it's probably the thinnest campaign book. And, you know, you think like, oh, that must be easy to run. It's not. not. It's not. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll go into more of that when we do a review of it. Um, the um, number two is going to be Tomb of Annihilation. Oh. I, I love Chult. I love Chult so much. Yeah. Like, one of the, the bookstore games, like, I started in Port Nine Zaru just because. Yeah. It literally had nothing to do with the entire <laughs> adventure. I just did it because I loved it. I mean, how could you not love dinosaurs in a high fantasy setting? Right? It's just, it's the cool thing you did when you're, like, a preteen and what, you're, were like... were those books, uh, Dragontopia, or, no, no, Dar- Dragon Dinosaurtopia or something like that? Yeah. Dinotopia? Yeah. And the, the encyclopedia books where it's, mm-hmm. like, and they, it's just, it's such a cool thing and... Yeah, the setting itself is just so cool. Yeah, I I really do love that one. And you can go back to Dungeon Driver and listen to that. And, you know, after you finish running it, maybe we will go revisit it and do another review of it. But that's going to be my number two. Number one, Curse's Trod. Yeah. It's, (laughs) I, I, there's legit days where I go, I miss playing Strahd. (laughs) And I don't even mean playing the game. I miss playing the character Strahd. Because <laughs> yeah. it's just so much fun. He's such the archetypal villain, and I love it. Oh, it was, it's almost like freeing having that... It is. That stereotype vampire yeah, villain. doing that fucking terrible voice. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Strahd von Zanovich. It's so much fun. Um, but yeah, like, you you and the rest of the party, like, made that campaign so much more fun. I mm-hmm. mean, Eden named her Etsy store after her character Yes, there. I know. <laughs> uh, which, which I'll plug here. Go check out Wiz's workshop on, uh, Wiz's Wonders. Wiz's Wondrous Items. Wiz's Wondrous Items, uh, on Etsy. She's got a lot of good stuff on mm-hmm. there. Um, but yeah, like, she named her store after her character from that campaign. Like, I yes. love that campaign. But the book itself... It's just so good. Well, again, getting more of it when we review it. But Dusty, those are those are our top things. Yes. So I hope you enjoyed that. Oh man. Um. Whew. I think I think that's it. Yeah, I believe so. At least for this week. Yeah. Um, well, this has been our show for this week. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review on whatever podcast service you are using, and tell your friends about the show. If you'd like to have your question read on the podcast, you can send it to difficultyclass at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at difficultyclass and on Instagram at difficultypodcast. Yes. Uh, And currently both uh, Instagram is mostly just me posting about either my campaign or (laughs) or (laughs) Idol Champions or some crap. So I'll give you the login so you can post more stuff on there too. So we can both have... Our, our fun with D&D there. Um, and, uh, yeah. Till next time, don't get killed by Strahd. There you go.